Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 265. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Perlman, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work by the one and only Samantha Har. That's me! And tonight, we're going to be going over the Midnight Hunt release notes. Yes. So you might have played in a pre-release this past weekend, but we're going to be going over rules in more depth than you really actually care about. This is a good set to do that for, because I, I had a lot of questions come up over the over the course of yeah. pre-release weekend. Lots of people just a little confused. Not terribly confused. Just a, just a little questions here and there, you know? Yeah. The, uh, I wish we could have gotten this out last week, but the release notes came out a little late. And we tend to wait for the release notes because, being a rules podcast, the release notes tend to have details that haven't necessarily been communicated to the general population at large prior to well that's okay because to be honest i hadn't read the release notes until today so i kind of winged it when i was answering the questions okay we got there i've seen some stuff online where some people kind of winged it as well because uh how day night works in two-headed giant is not intuitive Oh, no, definitely not. And so that's why I just I chose not to run a two-headed giant event. <laughs> oh, all right. So you knew in advance that you weren't going to schedule one just because it's like... Oh, I could sense it, night. yeah. I was like, mm, yeah. I feel the wind in the air. It's yeah, day, mm, no day two-headed night, giant. Day-night's one of these things that it's it seems really, really simple on the surface, but when you start digging down into it, you're like, oh, there's a lot. In so, do you want to get started? Yeah, let's get started into this. So... Transforming double-faced cards. Yeah. Um, it's back. It's back. Um, and I think I think we agreed that, in fact, it's it's been a minute since we talked about Transform in general. So I think next episode we're maybe going to go into a little bit of a... Maybe yeah. that'll be our theme. Assuming, assuming that there isn't like a big whopping IPG update where they, you know, all those updates that they said were coming and that they had queued up and they were going to release and then they didn't with the AFR release uh IPG. Yeah, if something if a if a real big something bomb gets dropped on us, we'll we'll try it. We'll do something else, but potentially we'll talk about transform cuz here it is. We're back again. Okay. Um returning mechanics similar in appearance to module modular double-faced cards. Um transform cards have a front face and a back face. However, unlike Modular double-faced cards, these cards don't have mana costs on the back and can't have their back faces cast. Um, this, if, you, if you look at the cards, this becomes very obvious. You will see one side very clearly has, looks like a normal magic card, the other side. It's got a little moon, it looks different. Yep, they, they do like sun on <clears> one <throat> side and moon on the other. For Innistrad, and I think with uh, Eldritch Moon, they did something a little bit different. They did like a little Emrakul squid-looking thing on one of the sides. Yeah, they they give them they give them different sim- symbols depending yeah. on the set, I believe. But, but they, modular, they try to make it pretty clear. Yeah, modular double face cards. It's always like one triangle looking thing on the front and two triangle looking things on the back. And if it ain't that, then it's probably a transform card. A robot in disguise. Yes. Okay, excellent. Um, transforming double face cards will specify how they transform, so keep an eye out for that. Yep. You will see the keyword transform. So, yeah, Transform is actually pretty complicated. We'll revisit it later, like we said. Each face of a Transforming Double Face card has its own name, types, subtypes, abilities, etc. While on the battlefield, it has the characteristics of whichever side is face up. Anywhere else, its front face is used for its characteristics. 
except with Disturbed, which we will talk about here in a minute. So what's an example of a double face card in the set? Oh, an example of a double face card in this set, we have Bereaved Survivor, which transforms into Dauntless Avenger. Pretty cool card. The um, So the Bereaved Survivor is two and a white for a 2-1 creature human peasant. And so peasant. The, the... A peasant. Peasant. The transform... Um, the transform specification here is when another creature you control dies, transform bereaved survivor. That's flavorful. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So on the opposite side, we have Dauntless Avenger. Whenever Dauntless Avenger attacks, return target creature card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, tapped and attacking. That is some vengeance. Yeah. The mana value of a transforming double face card when the back side is face up um, is the mana value on the front side. What? And I know. That didn't used to be the case, didn't it? Uh, no, forever but they, they did change it forever ago. So yeah, two forever forevers ago. ago, it was different. And then they changed it forever ago to be what it is now. Yeah, they did change <laughs> it. Now, now it is this. <laughs> yes. Now this is the way of things. So because color is derived from the mana value and the mana value is on the back, transforming double face cards get a little color indicator dot on the type line. Yeah, they do. Um, like Dryad Arbor, right? Uh, Dryad Arbor has, well, <laughs> funny story about Dryad Arbor. Dryad Arbor used to not have the color indicator. It used to just say Dryad Arbor is green on the text of the card. Well, it's then, time for them to let you know. Yeah, then when they came up with the color indicators, they removed that text and then just added the little dot. Actually, and this this brought up a question that I didn't think to ask until now. What what happens if it's a multicolored card? Well, it, there have been examples of multicolored cards. I believe uh, Nicol Bolas uh, transforms into a Planeswalker, but it is blue-red. Yeah. Typing away. You, yeah, you looking like, up the ooh. card? I should go look now. What is yeah. that? Oh, it, it actually has like a little pie. Yeah. A little pie chart of the colors. Okay, that's cute. I was like, did they just give it a gold dot or did they just have a little shrug emoji? I don't know. The craziest one that they haven't yet printed yet is, or reprinted since this is Transguild Courier. Because Transguild Courier is all colors. So it would look like a Trivial Pursuit piece from the, from the <laughs> 80s. That's that's a little challenging design-wise, but cool, cool. Only permanents represented by transforming double-faced cards can transform. You can't get cute with modal double-faced cards or morph or anything. Don't try it. They Big no. Um, auras, counters, and damage stay on a transforming double-faced card through its transformation, assuming it doesn't change zones. Yep. There is, there is one card uh, in this set that exiles and then... When its transform condition happens, it exiles and then enters the battlefield transformed. And since it's transforming into an aura, it attaches onto something. Then there is another card that transforms into an aura that just attaches when it transforms. It never changes zones. It stays on the battlefield. So we have two contradictory cases in the same set. And I think we talk about both of them. Dun-dun-dun. Yep. So transforming double face cards always enter the battlefield unless an ability says otherwise. So we're going to talk about Nightbound in a second. We're going to talk about Disturbed. There's a few other abilities where it can enter the battlefield transformed. But for the most part, 
transforming double face cards enter the battlefield face up yeah, I think they they make that pretty clear later on. I think they they talk about like really weird at, at some point in the release notes they talk about like weird corner cases or if if something yeah. if somehow something ends up daybound and nightbound at the same time and it just all goes daybound, I don't know, it's interesting stuff right. and I would love to know what causes that, but <laughs> yeah, so let's get into it with daybound and nightbound. What you're all here for? We know you're excited. Yeah. All right. So the way way back, uh first time we went to Innistrad, we had werewolves that triggered a little bit differently. Similar, but different enough that it could probably be confusing. The game sort of used a day and night mechanic to control transform, sort of, kind of, but it was individual. So what happened was, is they used to have triggers that say, like, at the beginning of each upkeep, if no spells were cast last turn, transform Mare of uh, Averbrook, for example. And then he'd transform into Halpak Alpha, and Halpak Alpha would say at the beginning of your upkeep, if a player casts two or more spells last turn, transform Halpak Alpha. So it really didn't care who the active player was. So if you controlled a Mare of Averbrook and you decided to take the turn off and not cast any spells, and then at the end of your turn your opponent is like, play an instant, well, crap. You don't oh. get to Yeah, you don't get to transform your mare, and you took the whole turn off. Boop boop. Um, yeah, the other thing was if I had just done all this work to transform all of my, my werewolves so that they're night side up or backside up, and then I played my, my one human, this would just be like the one little human in the, in a sea of werewolves. And he'd be like, well, why isn't he transformed? (laughs) You know, he wants to, he wants to be a werewolf and wolf out and play too. He howled at the moon. Yeah, right. So daybound nightbound is an attempt to fix this problem. And that would make sense. Yeah, I, I don't think I remember much about the original Innistrad stuff, so that's really cool to know. Yeah. See, they've kind of fixed some things they attempted to do in the past, I guess. Um so let's talk about day and night. Day and night are designations the game can have. The game does not start as either day or night. So it's just it's just like Monarchs or City's Blessing. It, it it's just nothing until something in the game causes it to be. And then, from then on, it is tracked for the rest of the game. So do keep track of that. Once we start tracking day and night, the game is absolutely one or the other. It is never both, and it does apply to both players. Simultaneously. Simultaneously. I I don't think it can ever be like one player is day and the other player is night. No, everybody getting affected. Yep. So the game becomes day or night when a card says so. If it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as something enters the battlefield yep. that tells you to. Yep, that's that's an example of text on a card. Yeah, it's neither day nor night. It becomes day if it says if it says to do the thing. So there are some cards that care whenever night becomes day or day becomes night, and you'll you'll do a thing. However, going from nothing to day or nothing to night does not satisfy this condition. It if if a card says that night has to become day, then it, you do have to start in night. And then it has to become day. Yeah. So also, cards with daybound will also set the game to day if there was no day or night set already. So more about daybound in a bit. So other than a card explicitly setting the game to day or night, how can it change from day to night? So we have a new turn-based action during yeah. the untap step. Sun's getting real low, buddy. <laughs> And I actually saw, uh, I think, Jess Dunks on, on Twitter having to explain in what order things happen before untap because there were some phasing questions, so... Yep. 
so this happens the the day to night night to day flip-flop happens after things phase in but before you untap so let's be sure to get all that right yeah <laughs> phasing werewolves please be a werewolf for halloween no go around with my, just go around with my shirt off <laughs> we'll get you some doggy ears it'll be perfect don't oh, worry about it oh that's more like me going as a a, a barfala mule from space balls oh my god <laughs> oh my god I'm my own this best is the con- friend. Yeah, this is the content you're all here for. Yeah, this is... Join our Patreon to hear <laughs> less of this. Don't worry about our cosplay ideas. <laughs> so yeah, right, at, right after things phase in, but before you untap, if... So it becomes day if, during the last turn, that turn's active player cast two spells. It becomes night if, during the last turn... That turns active player cast no spells. And so here's the two-headed giant situation. So <laughs> in order, the situation here is that in order to become knight, both players on a team need to cast no spells. But to become day, only only one has to cast two spells. Only one head yeah. of the giant has to cast two spells. I, I don't really know why that is, although I think it's because... Since creatures get better at night, it's it's a little too easy in a two-headed giant game for one person to take. The, like, it's not a cost if one person takes the turn off and both of our creatures get to flip. Yeah, maybe. I, I That that would make sense. And I, I think I've started, the, the older and wiser I get, the more I just sort of stop asking the whys of some of these things. Because it's, it's, it's either that we tried it once and it burned something down and you say, oh, I see. Or it's because they say so. And good enough. <laughs> All right. So what is what is being day? So we learned how to go from day to night. What does being day or night get you? Well, typically, I guess the card will tell you that. So this this is this is what controls the werewolf transformation in Midnight Hunt. All the werewolves and one planeswalker and one aura have daybound, nightbound. So you get to do fun things with your flippy flip werewolves. Um, <laughs> the front side and the back side are going to be different. And they're going to do different things. So you get different effects, different creatures, different whatever, depending on if it is day or night. So we don't have the exact rules text yet on daybound, nightbound. But as it becomes day, all permanents with daybound on their backside will transform to their daybound side. As it becomes night, all all permanents with nightbound will transform to the nightbound side. Yeah. So an, an example of this is Tavern Ruffian. Um, and I was really excited to find out this was a lady in the, the flavor text down here. She dispatched every challenger with a sickening snap of bone. Um, Tavern Ruffian. Three and a red for a creature, human, warrior, werewolf. And then it's a 2-5. And the nightbound side is Tavern Smasher, which is a creature werewolf, a 6-5 with nightbound. So, cool. Pretty pretty vanilla as far as daybound, nightbound creatures go. But, yeah. neat. So... One of the things that is important to know in the difference between the OG werewolves and this one is this isn't a trigger. Like the transformation triggers in the, in the OG in the OG Innistrad was an at the beginning of each upkeep trigger. This is straight up; it just happens. Okay, uh, so we're gonna have to wait for the infraction procedure guide to s- determine how to handle it because previously we would just handle it like a missed trigger. This is actually more of a game rule violation. 
Okay, and is it going to have a partial fix? Is it not? You know, one of the things that we definitely don't want doing is we don't want werewolves transforming mid-combat. Oh, that would rule. So, nah, no. let them do it. That's cool. <laughs> no, no, no. But, like, if you attack with your tavern, your 6-5 tavern smasher, and then the other player's like, well, it's actually day, and it switches over to tavern ruffian mid-swing, that'd be awful. That's like the climax of a movie. Like, gotcha, bad guy. And then they do the, like, puppy, like, <laughs> away. It's like, no, we had curtains over the window. It was really daytime the whole time. Yeah, you rip the curtains off. That rules. <laughs> That's like the end of, like, Scooby-Doo movie, uh, Superman, DC animated uh, movie, Gremlins 2, 1, all of them, all the Gremlins movies. But if this happens, you you have to do a big, like, Shakespearean death or, like, a big wilting. <laughs> oh, like like the uh, like the witch in um, Wizard of Oz, you just melt. Oh, I was thinking more of, a, like, Paul Rubin from the initial Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Ooh, I've not seen that. You haven't now. seen that? Okay. I've only seen, I've seen season one and that's it. And I know I, know I need takes, to see more. Paul Rubin, Pee Wee Herman is a vampire. He gets staked and he takes a good 45 seconds to die overly dramatically. <laughs> Has, okay. Nobody wants to watch Pee Wee Herman die for 45 seconds. It's not Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> He's a vampire. It's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's great. All right. All right. So, okay. So anyway. Um, if you cast a spell with Daybound during nighttime, so when it's nighttime and you cast a spell with daytime, um, that spell is going to be sunny side up while on the stack. We're working some eggs metaphor. It's going to be sunny side up while on the stack, but it's going to enter the battlefield night side face up. This isn't a transformation. It's just ET being over easy. Moony side up. Um, now, if it's day and you cast a Daybound permanent, it's going to come in day. So, eh, no big, no big there. Um, permanence with daybound, nightbound can only transform as a result of the day-night transition. You can't transform via other means. So, no, uh, what is it, moon mist? You can't do that. Um, you can, however, prevent that transformation because can't beats can. So, saying I can't transform with cards like Emmerwolf can allow a daybound side to be face up while it is actually night. But in general, if it's day, you've got all your, your sunny side ups. If it's night, you've got all your night sides. And you shouldn't have like a, there shouldn't really be like a mix and match or anything like that unless you got an Emmer Wolf. I think a moony side up is just a butt. <laughs> <laughs> the card butt. Yeah. Once it starts being day or night... The game keeps tracking it, even after all permanents that care about day or night are gone. So remember this if you're going to put a daybound card in your cube. Remember that if you're going to play like one or two EDH cards with daybound, nightbound on it. Eh, yeah. I mean, I guess that'd actually be kind of funny. Like if you played like a few day night cards in your deck and then just made like a really, your EDH deck made a really big deal out of transforming. And then you have nothing that really cares about it. And you just have to keep track for the rest of the game. Yeah, anyway. yeah. No, just no, no. It's, it's, it's daytime now. <laughs> just got to keep track. Yeah. All right. So here's another mechanic in this, in this set. We have Disturb up next. Um, so transforming double face cards are always their face upside anywhere but the battlefield. Well, enter Disturb. Ooh, ah, 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 ah. Disturbia. I'm not going to sing it. No? No. 
All right, so let's look at Covert Cut Purse. And... That's, that's fine if you don't sing it. We'll just enjoy the sound of silence. <laughs> oh my God, let me read Covert Cut Purse. Covetous Geist. Yeah, a Covert Cut Purse. He probably uh, walks alone the narrow streets of cobblestone. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> this is a coup. I'm cooing, Judge Cast. <laughs> Right, so Covert Cut Purse is two and a black for a creature human rogue 2-1. When Covert Covert Cut Purse enters the battlefield, destroy target creature you don't control that was dealt damage this turn. And then there's Disturb for four and a black, which means, drumroll, you may cast this card from your graveyard transformed for its Disturb cost. Whoa, Nelly! So let's say you do that. Here comes Covetous Geist, which is a creature spirit rogue. 2-2 with flying death touch and if covetous geist would be put into a graveyard from anywhere you exile it instead so that's cool it's basically aftermath but for creatures (laughs) so yeah disturb appears on the front of some transforming double face cards and they they all work pretty much like that um all other rules for alternate costs and additional costs will still apply and the mana value of the spell cast using dist- using Disturb is determined by the mana cost on the front face of the card, no matter what the total cost to cast the spell was. Yep. Now, one interesting thing about this is, so when you cast the card for its Disturb cost, you're going to put it on the stack uh, night side or night side up. So this is the only transform card or disturb, with Disturb is the only way to get the back face of a Transform card on the stack, barring some sort of crazy shenanigans. So it's different if it's night and you cast a Daybound Werewolf, even though it's going to enter the battlefield uh, night side face up, on the stack it is sunny side up. Um, so the back face of each card with Disturb does have that it would be exile instead of going to the graveyard. Um, and this does include going to the graveyard from the stack, like if it was countered. So keep that in mind. Yep. Um, and if somehow you copy a permanent spell with disturb, cause there are a few cards that do that. Now, uh, the copy is going to become a token. That's a copy of the cards back face. True. Good to know. All right. All right. Next up, here's another mechanic. We have coven. So, Coven is an ability word that cares if you control three or more creatures with different powers. So, 0-2-1-2-2-2 all have different powers. And this is typically an intervening if clause. So, here's an example. We have Dawnheart Wardens for one green-white. A creature human warlock that's a 3-3. It's got Vigilance and Coven. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control three or more creatures with different powers, creatures you control get plus one, plus O, until end of turn. So that's kind of a cute little mental image there. They're all working together, even though they're different. I like that. That's fun. So it's, again, it's at the beginning of combat on your turn. You have to have the the three or the control three or more creatures of different power at when this trigger goes on the stack and when it goes to resolve, because since it's an intervening if clause, right? Decayed. So, yeah, this is, this is, I'm kind of excited for this mechanic just because it lets me get more zombies for cheaper. So, Decayed is a new keyword on some zombies and maybe a few other things. But it basically lets get more zombies for cheaper because they can actually do less. So, there's a card called Falcon Abomination. And I know you can't see the artwork, but it is... 
you should go look at the artwork because it's notable. It's oh, it's like Alfred E. Newman from the Mad Magazines turned into a zombie bird. So it's for two and a blue. It's a zombie bird, 2-2 flyer that says, When Falcon Abomination enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Okay. With decayed. Now what decayed means is this creature can't block and... When this creature attacks, sacrifice it at the end of combat. This does not create an attacking requirement. So saying this creature can't block doesn't mean this creature has to attack. It also does not grant haste. So if the creature entered the battlefield this turn with decayed, it can't shamble on over to your opponent. Shamble. <laughs> yep. Shamble. Scuttle. You know, just kind of... Also... If the creature attacked while it had decay, remember the decay is when this creature attacks, sacrifice it at the end of combat. So it sets up a delayed trigger. So if the creature attacked while it had decayed and it somehow, some way loses decay before the end of combat, it's still going to get sacrificed. Okay. Just now, crumbles to dust. Right. Now, so the trigger happens when you, when you uh, declare it as an attacker. Okay, it sets up the delayed trigger that's going to go off at the end of combat. You can still respond to that trigger. So your end of combat triggers on the stack. You can sacrifice the creature. You can, uh, in some cases, in some of the non-token cases, you can like blink it uh, or you can stifle it if you really, really want to keep your token or you could sundial it the infinite or whatever and end the turn. So you can get around it. Ish. 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 In the set, we are also going to see flashback, and I think we decided we weren't going to go real far into flashback, because I think we've seen that pretty numerous times before. We've talked about it infinite. If you, yeah. As a quick reminder, flashback cost, you may cast this card from your graveyard for its flashback cost, then exile it. Easy peasy. Yep. You still got to follow timing restrictions. Um, You probably know the drill at this point. Yeah. Spells exiled after you cast it. Whether it resolves or is countered or goes away some, goes, leaves the stack some other how. Some other how. Some other which way. Yeah. So let's get into the specific cards. This is the oh, fun yeah. part. So let's look first up at Adeline, Resplendent Cathar, one white white, legendary creature, human knight with vigilance. Adeline, Resplendent Cathar's power is equal to the number of creatures you control. Whenever you attack for each opponent... Create a 1-1 white human creature token that's tapped and attacking that player or a planeswalker they control. And the, the power toughness here on Adeline is a, a star 4. So, CDA, second ability, is a characteristic defining ability, meaning it functions in all zones. Even if it's in your binder. <laughs> Wherever it is. <laughs> CDAs matter. Back home, back home, uh, sitting in a box. Yep. Right. Onto the bed, on a train track. CDAs, that's what it is. So the last ability triggers whenever you attack, not whenever Adeline attacks. Also, it only triggers once per declare attacker step, not once per creature. So tokens will be created for each of your opponents, not just the opponent you attacked. You choose if the token is attacking the player or their planeswalker as it enters the battlefield. So these human tokens created by the triggered ability are attacking but they were never declared as an attacker and i know i know we we've touched on this a few times but Mm -hmm. to double down on it it matters for cards that care about creatures that attacked so if you have creatures that attacked this turn can't attack can't untap your little one one white human 
doesn't quite work. So if you have out a card like Chatterfang, which is a, a recent favorite of my local community, the squirrel token will also be attacking. <laughs> right. So Chat Chatterfang, the relevant ability there is if one or more tokens would be created under your control. Okay. Uh, those tokens plus plus that many 1-1 one, one green squirrel creature tokens are created instead. So that squirrel token is going to be created tapped and attacking. Oh, yeah, baby. All right. Squirrel time. Okay. Augur of Autumn is the next card. It is a human druid for one green green. It's 2-3. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. Ooh. Okay, period. Carriage return. You may play lands from the top of your library, period. New line. <laughs> and it has Coven. As long as you control three or more creatures with different powers, you may cast creature spells from the top of your library. Now, this isn't a triggered ability, so it doesn't have the intervening if clause. But Augur of Autumn doesn't change the timing of any of those spells that you can cast or the lands that you can play. It just gives you permission to do it from the top of your library. Uh, if you have Cummin, uh, however, if you have a creature with Flash on the top of your library, you can cast that any time that you do an instant. So basically, you get to play pretend that it's in your hand, except that it's not. It's not actually in your hand. You can't suspend it. You can't cycle it. You can't discard it but you can cast it at a time like you could from your hand. Now, and we say this a lot because uh, there's a lot of these cards recently that say you can look at the top card of your library at any time, but if the top card of your library changes during the process of casting a spell or activating an ability, you cannot look at the, top, the new top card until the process of casting that spell or activating that ability is over. So if I have to shuffle that top card into my library, um, can I just leave it face up in the library? If you have to shuffle... <laughs> if it's turned face up, I can just leave it face up as I there, shuffle it, right? So there is weird, <laughs> wacky things. Uh, so the reason I think they stopped doing the you play with the top card of your library revealed is because there were weird things where it's like, look at the top four cards of your library. Well, when you're looking at the top four cards of your library, that top card is still revealed. It's still in your library. So it creates this weird situation where the order might change and the opponent's like, oh, well, you just put those cards back in any order. When do I get to know? Do I get to know when you put them back and the order changes? I get to know, I get to know, I get to know. So this is, you may look at the top card of your library at any time, is a much cleaner uh, implementation of that. Good point. I like that. Makes everyone's yeah. lives a little easier. A little bit easier. Next up, we have Bloodthirsty Adversary for one and a red, a creature vampire with haste. When Bloodthirsty Adversary enters the battlefield, you may pay two and a red any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on Bloodthirsty Adversary. Then exile up to that many target instant and or sorcery cards with mana value three or less from your graveyard and copy them. You may cast any number of the copies without paying their mana costs. That's, That's a lot of ability. text. <laughs> That's all one ability, too. That's a lot of stuff going on, and this is a 2-2, That two -two, whole thing by the that way. you just read. <laughs> that was one, one single chunk. Hooey! All right. There is a reflexive trigger hidden in that text. There is. So, let's see. What, where is the reflection? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Found it. There it's it like the is. Where's Waldo. Exile. Okay, yeah. Got it. Yeah, it's the when you, when you pay this cost one or more times. Yeah, put that many... On adversary, then exile up to the. Oh my god, there's right. so much going on here. Right, so this this text is like 80% reflexive trigger. Right, I kind of want a flowchart for this. 
Somebody made me a flowchart. So kind of weird. You were exiling cards, then, then copying them, then casting the copies. And the original cards will stay in exile. The copies have to be cast right away. If you don't, state-based actions will cause the copies to cease to exist. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. So you're exiling the cards. They're going to stay in exile. But you get to make copies. Making copies. And then you can cast them. All right. Brutal catheter. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Brutal catheter. Cathar. For two and a white, it's a human soldier werewolf 2-2. Two, two. So I guess we're going to have a back face. Spoilers. When this creature enters the battlefield or transforms into Brutal Catheter, uh, exile target creature and opponent controls until this creature leaves the battlefield daybound, and it transforms into Moonrage Brute, which is a 3-3 first striker with ward, pay three life, nightbound. All right, so this is our first daybound, nightbound card, uh, other than when we talked about daybound, nightbound just a minute ago. If Brutal Cathar or Moonrage Brute take your pick, leaves the battlefield before that first ability resolves, that first ability being Brutal Cathar's first ability, nothing is exiled. So when this creature enters the battlefield or transforms into Brutal Cathar, exile target creature and opponent controls until this creature leaves the battlefield. That's an until. If the duration ends before the effect would start, the effect doesn't happen. All right? Transforming the permanent does not cause the first ability to end. Going from Brutal Cathar to Moonrage Brute does not uh, cause the exiled creature to come back onto the battlefield. Okay. Moonrage Brute leaving the battlefield will cause the first ability to end because that first ability says this creature, and this creature refers to the card. If you exile a token that way, it's going to cease to exist. All right. The exiled card is returned to the battlefield immediately when Brutal Cathar or Moonrage Brute leaves play. There's no in between. So basically, we go from. Brutal, brutal Cathar on the battlefield, creature card exiled, to Brutal Cathar in the graveyard, exiled creature back on the battlefield. Um, in EDH, if the player, because of that immediacy, it's not a trigger or anything like that, there's nothing to remove from the stack. So in EDH, if the owner, if the player owning Brutal Cathar leaves the game, that exile card will return. So it's not like, oh, I killed that player. Johnny, you're stuck. You don't get your... Uh, uh, Hangerback Walker back. I don't know. That's Stuck in limbo forever. Yeah, well, Hangerback Walker is awful because it's a, it's an X creature. But yes. Next um, up, we have Consuming Blob. Now here's a handsome fellow. Oh. So for three green green, a creature ooze. And look at all this. Look at all the asterisks, the stars on this thing. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> its power and toughness is star slash star plus one. Consuming Blob's power is equal to the number of card types among cards in your graveyard, and its toughness is equal to that number plus one. Cool. Count them up. So at the beginning of your end step, create a green ooze creature token with this creature's power is equal to the number of card types among cards in your graveyard, and its toughness is equal to that number plus one. <laughs> it's a five mana goif that makes more goifs. Yeah. That's pretty cute. Oh, gosh. So, yeah. So, I guess that does mean we have to bring up the lightning bolt doesn't kill creatures, SBAs do, yeah. example. So, yeah. ooh, don't lightning bolt something that's going to that's gonna cause an extra an extra type to be in the battlefield, because bad news. Right. Yeah, so if you've got a creature, an artifact, and a land in the graveyard, or sorry, just an artifact, an artifact, and a creature in the graveyard, 
consuming blob will be a 2-3. You go, oh, well, I'm going to lightning bolt that. Lightning bolt deals three damage. Lightning bolt hits it, deals three damage, goes to the graveyard. Now there's three types in the graveyard, and it's three plus one is four, so that lightning bolt didn't kill it. Didn't do nothing. Well, it didn't do yeah. nothing, but it's it didn't do what you wanted, and that's sad. Okay, so now let's talk about probably the goofiest art in the set. Oh, you got my art. favorite one. All right. Do you want oh. Do you want to do it then? I'll I'll do the next one. I do. I do. love this one. Croaking counterpart. Look at him. <laughs> Look at his eyeballs. Just he looks confused to exist. So, <laughs> for one green blue for a sorcery. Create a token that's a copy of target non-frog creature, except it's a 1-1 green frog. It's got flashback for three green-blue, which flashes it back. You know how that goes. So it's an exact copy of the creature, except for power and toughness, creature type, and color. So, most stuff. Most stuff. (laughs) If copied creature has X in the mana cost, X is zero. If the copied creature is a token... The new token that's created copies the original characteristics of the token as stated by the effect that created that token, with the exceptions noted above. Yeah, power and toughness, creature type, color. Yeah, it is what it says it is, except for those things. So enter the battlefield triggers and replacement effects will work. Yep, they still happen. That token still entering the battlefield. They do indeed. What a good card. Curse of Leeches is our first non-werewolf, daybound, nightbound thing. thing. Uh, only because we didn't do Planeswalker Arlen because she was relatively straightforward. Uh, curse of Leeches is, for two and a black, is an enchantment or a curse with enchant player, as you do. As this permanent transforms into Curse of Leeches, attach it to a player. Okay, sure. At the beginning of enchanted player's upkeep, they lose one life and you gain one life is Daybound, and the Nightbound side is Leeching Lurker, which is a 4-4 with lifelink. Uh, when day goes to night, this aura, so you're going to cast it, let's assume we start with day, you're going to cast this aura, you're going to attach it to Sama, Blech. and when day becomes night, the aura is going to fall off the player as a state-based action, because there's an actual state-based action that says creatures can't be attached to players, okay, so it's just going to fall off. And we're going to have ourselves a, le- a leeching lurker. But for just the briefest of seconds, leeching lurker was attached to Sama. Creature type is... Sarlacc. Yes, creature type. Creature type Tremor. <laughs> yeah. So let's now, so we just talked about what happens when day becomes night. Let's talk a little bit about when night becomes day. So leeching lurker is going to transform during untap. Okay. I, and it says... As this permanent transforms into Curse of Leeches, attach it to a player. So it's going to get attached to a player during untap. It's also not going to target because, remember, auras only have targets when they're on the stack. You know, might have said something about that last episode. So it's not going to target so it can get around Hexproof Shroud. You just attach it to somebody. And then, since it's happening during untap, the next thing that happens is upkeep. The curse is going to trigger. Also, one last thing. It says at the beginning of each enchanted player, uh, sorry, at the beginning of enchanted player's upkeep, they lose one life and you gain one life. You being the controller of Curse of Leeches, not you being the person enchanting, enchanted by Curse of Leeches. You know how like, oh, I got this Curse of Leech on me. I guess I'm going to lose a life and gain a life unless you attach it to yourself. I guess. Sure. You could do that if you wanted to. 
we're rules podcast. We're not necessarily a strategy podcast, so you know. And we're not that's here to thing. judge your lifestyle choices. Um, I will do that. That's outside the podcast. Like, like if you're wearing shoes and Crocs, mm. you would not believe how often I see, <laughs> I see socks and Crocs, socks and sandals. So- oh my god, Florida. <laughs> yes. All right. Next up, we have Curse of Surveillance, which. This card art is mega gross, but it kind of reminded me of the anime Parasite. I don't know. Take a look at it. So, Curse of Surveillance, four and a blue. Enchantment, aura, curse. There you have it. So, Enchant Player. At the beginning of Enchanted Player's upkeep, any number of target players other than the player, other than that player, each draw cards equal to the number of curses attached to that player. Golly. So, the controller of Curse of Surveillance gets to decide the targets for the triggered ability... Not the player the curse is enchanting. So that's kind of interesting. Make sure you're, we, we know who here is making the choices correctly. Okay. Next up is Denik Pious Apprentice, who transforms into or disturb, disturbs into uh, <laughs> D- Denik Pious Apparition. So Denik Pious Apprentice is a white and a blue for a 2-3 legendary creature human soldier with lifelink. And cards in graveyards can't be the target of spells or abilities. Okay? And it has disturb for two white and a blue. And Dinnick, Pious Apprentice, when Dinnick dies, <laughs> uh, you can transform him into... Uh, you can cast Pay the Disturb Cost and turn him into Dinnick, Pious Apparition, which is a flying uh, legendary creature spirit soldier with flying. And whenever one or more creatures are put into graveyards from anywhere, investigate. This ability triggers only once per once each turn, and then if Denik Pious Apparition would be in would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Okay, so Denik, the backface, uh, has two interesting bits about its triggered ability. First is that it only cares about creature cards, not tokens. So it says whenever one or more creature cards are put into a graveyard from anywhere. The second is the from anywhere trigger, which means it will trigger if. If a creature card is put into the graveyard as a result of milling, as a result of discarding, as a result of dying, as a result of doing something weird where it's put pulled out of exile and put directly into a graveyard. Also, since it's from anywhere, it means it's going to look at the card as it exists in the graveyard, not as it, as it exists on the battlefield. For example, there are some cards out there, some creatures that can copy an artifact or a planeswalker or something like that. So I've got a creature that copied a Planeswalker. It's a Planeswalker on the battlefield. Planeswalker dies in the graveyard. It's a creature. And that's what that from anywhere means. Because since it, normally when you have a trigger that says when a creature dies, it's going from the battlefield to the graveyard. So we actually look, the game kind of looks back in time and sees how it existed on the battlefield. But from anywhere, it can come in from the hand. It can come in from the library. It can come in from the grave. uh, from the battlefield it can come in from exile so the game kind of has to look at how it how it actually is in the graveyard at that point so so man denik does a lot what doesn't denik do (laughs) so i think it's interesting to have an ability like disturb on a blue white card because i think i don't tend to think of blue white as being the spooky colors but he is kind of spooky he like worked real hard in life and then he died and became a cop in the afterlife too (laughs) And we don't talk to cops. We don't talk to cops. We don't talk to cops. Judge Cass motto. Yep. Don't talk to cops. <laughs> don't do it. 
Um, next up we have Enduring Angel, which transforms into Angelic Enforcer. Ooh. Yeah, this is a neat card. Yeah, so two white, white, white creature angel. It's a three, Enduring Angel side is a three, three. Flying, double strike. You have hexproof. If your life total would be reduced to zero or less, instead transform Enduring Angel and your life total becomes three. Then if an if Enduring Angel didn't transform this way, you lose the game. Ooh. Yep. Spooky. So, Angelic Enforcer. On the flip side, we have Flying, you have Hexproof. Angelic Enforcer's power and toughness are each equal to your life total. Fair enough. Which I guess would probably be three at that point. Three, yeah. Likely. Um, Whenever Angelic Enforcer attacks, double your life total. Oh, holy smokes. Okay, well, isn't that something? Yeah. So Enduring Angel, the the front side, the last ability is a replacement effect. It doesn't use the stack and can't be responded to. Your opponent can't target this in order to kill it, so it doesn't transform and you lose the game. That would be nice, but sorry, opponent. Not happening. So doubling a player's life total means the player gains an amount of life such that their new life total is twice the current value. There are cases where you can have a negative life total and not be dead. In that case, (laughs) oh no, in that case, doubling would cause you to lose life. (laughs) I mean, that makes mathematical sense. If you're at negative five and you swing with Angelic Enforcer, you're going to negative ten. Oh no. Do you know why it says um, if Enduring Angel doesn't transform this way, you lose the game? Because you're, uh, I I guess because, wait. wait. Well, no, it's, it's so if I get... Uh, like make a copy of Enduring Angel, like if I clone Enduring Angel, clone doesn't have a back face, so clone can't transform. So oh, well, what yeah. would happen if it didn't have that clause, it would just say if your life total would be reduced to zero or less, instead transform, okay, well you can't, and your life total becomes three. So basically, if you clone your Enduring Angel, you can't die. Well, that is real enduring. Yeah. That's an extremely enduring angel. <laughs> right. Super enduring. So in this particular case, they're like, yeah, if that clone enduring angel doesn't transform, deuces. Ooh, so I see a note here that says, now let's talk about what happens if you were at 10 life and both you and enduring angel somehow take 10 damage at the same time. I don't know. What is what is the answer to that? This actually, I want to say stumped me for a little bit. I was just like, how does this work? I've got replacement effects. I was trying to make it like a, a dueling state-based actions. And then at some point I just reread the card and was like, uh, this is a replacement effect. So you get hit by something that deals 10 damage to both you and Enduring enduring Angel. Okay, the damage event, when we transform the, the damage into the results, which is causing the loss of life, Enduring Angel would transform, okay, and your life total would become three and we would transform into Angelic Enforcer. Now, it's still got that 10 damage on it. Yeah. Okay. So your life totals at 3. It's transformed now into a uh into a 3/3 three, three with 10 damage uh uh marked on it. Then we do state-based action checks. In which case Angelic Enforcer is going to go to the graveyard and you you're at 3 life. You're not going to die. So don't overthink it. Yeah. Yep. That wasn't too bad. All right. Uh, oh, I got this one. Uh, Florin Voldaren Scion. This comfy-looking chap. 
is uh, a 3-3 legendary creature vampire noble for one black and a red with first strike and pretty hefty triggered ability that says at the beginning of your post-combat main phase look at the top X cards of your library where X is the total amount of life your opponents lost this turn exile one of those cards and put the rest on the bottom of your library in random order you may play the exiled cards this turn or the exiled card this turn so again just a reminder damage causes loss of life all right you have a post-combat main phase even if no creature is attacked during a turn Okay, this ability is still going to trigger. This might actually cause a little bit of problems when things are cast. If you play Voldar and please communicate when you're in your pre-combat main phase and when you're post and when you're in your post-combat main phase. Um, you know, if I have no creatures, when did I cast that lightning bolt? Did I do it during my main phase or my post-combat main phase? Pre-combat main phase or post-combat? Yeah. Okay. So Florence ability checks to see how much life your opponents lost, not how much their life total changed. Did they lose life? If you uh, if you somehow have two post-combat main phases, Florin's going to trigger for both of them. Florin Ooh. don't care. Yeah. Um, playing the Exiled card still follows all the regular timing rules. Okay? And then if you're playing EDH or something and a player died via life loss, like they're actually out of the game, Florin's still going to see that loss of life. I was, trying right. to, I was trying to figure out at first what was happening in this image, and I thought all these people just wanted his really cool sword, but then I realized they want his blood. Which is cool, too. But I thought they were excited they want, about his sword. Is that what they want? They want his blood? That's what it looks like. Uh, yeah, they've all got, like, cups of blood, and they're like, give us your blood. And he's like, yeah, maybe. I'm famous. I don't know. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, I knew that it looked like they were, like, begging for food or something. I mean, maybe. Sure. Next up, we have Gisa, Glorious Resurrector. For two black black legendary creature, human wizard. And she's a 4-4. Four four. If a creature an opponent controls would die... Okay, hold on. What? I completely what? misread that. I, What's that? Never mind. I'll tell you later. All right. Okay. Gisa, Glorious Resurrector for two black black legendary creature, human wizard, and a 4-4. Four, four. If a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. At the okay. beginning of your upkeep, put all creature cards exiled with Gisa, Glorious Resurrector, onto the battlefield under your control. They Favorite gain the decayed. Favorite card in the set. No question. This is cool. This Love is cool, this yeah. So... So, so do keep track of which which cards were exiled specifically this way, because it looks like that's going to matter, because you're bringing them back, baby, with decay. So, die dies means goes to the graveyard from the battlefield. So creature creatures exiled this way don't actually quote unquote die. So any trigger that triggers any triggers that trigger when X dies won't trigger. So triggers that trigger won't trigger. Triggers that would trigger won't trigger. <laughs> But but other triggers that might trigger will still trigger. Some triggers will trigger, but not those triggers. They won't trigger. Okay. I hope that clears that up. <laughs> Absolutely. I understood. Gisa doesn't give the creatures haste. Okay. I mean, it, it doesn't say that. So yeah, she doesn't do things she doesn't say she does. If an opponent's creature would die and more than one effect would cause it to be exiled, the opponent will get to choose which one applies. Now that's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Because they're the one affected by the by multiple replacement effects trying to replace the same action. The affected player gets to decide the order. Yep, yep, yep. I remember that from my L2 test. Yeah. Yeah, I love this card. I I want all the cards. And she looks just so happy sitting on the whatever with the cleaver and the shovel. She's happy to be doing whatever she's doing. And I, I feel that. Good for you, girl. Go off. Like, do yeah. what you gotta do. 
Yeah, and they're like, is that like cakes or presents or something like that in the background? Or, oh, it's just bloody pillars. Never mind. Uh, maybe maybe it's gift of blood pillars, you know? That's maybe. It's not what I've ever received for a birthday, but... Is that is that a present in the back? No, it's gore. Okay. <laughs> Surprise, it's gore. Thanks, magic. <laughs> okay, so the next card is Harvest Tide Sentry. For one and a green, we have a 3-1 human warrior with Coven. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control three or more creatures with different powers, Harvest Sentry can't be blocked by creatures with power of two or less. All right, so this trigger is going to set up an invisible rule for blocking. Okay, so this is going to be one of those weird, weird triggers that, according to the IPG, that it just happens and you have to demonstrate awareness of it the first time it would become relevant to the game. So so if I, you know, at the beginning of combat, got the trigger, I attack, and my opponent blocks with a creature uh, like a 1-1, I have to, at that point, go, mm, you can't block with that. Okay, if I allow that block to happen, I have missed my trigger i failed to demonstrate awareness of my invisible trigger when it first mattered okay because there's no targets or anything like that in this creature you just have creature to look your opponent dead in the eye and be like i yeah. am aware right like, so this is this is more of a competitive thing we haven't seen something relevant like this in a while and this probably isn't going to be played in standard this is only going to come up in like sealed events um so also a two power creature says this can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less if I block with a um, uh, a creature with a power of three, and then the power gets reduced somehow, some way, that doesn't make the block illegal. The block still happened. It was still legal when the block occurred. Doesn't matter that it's now, air quotes, illegal. Try telling that to the court. Yeah. All right. Can can I do can I do the next one? Oh, all right. This name oh, is no, so you, good. Did, Just this name is just so it? good. Now go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, this is this is the hostile hostile. I just like it because it's like I'm smart. I stayed in a holiday. I stayed in a Holiday Inn last night. Um, so it's it's hostile hostile. Oh, it's a Holiday um, Inn Express, all right. <laughs> it is. This is hostile hostile is where I stay at when I go to GPS. Um, it is a land with tap to add colorless. Uh, one and tap sacrifice a creature. Put a soul counter on hostile hostile. Then, if there are three or more soul counters on it, remove those counters, transform it, untap it, and activate only as a sorcery. And it transforms into creeping in. Whoever designed, whoever named this card, good kudos, good job. This yeah. rules. Right. It's the creep in special. <laughs> um, is an artifact creature, horror construct, is 3 7. Whenever creeping in attacks, you may exile a creature card from your graveyard. If you do, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the number of creature cards exiled with creeping in. And then for four mana, creeping in phases out. I am passing away just the creeping special. <laughs> oh, the creeping special? Like, if you do, if you, if you, if you win enough events, get enough planeswalker points, or do whatever, like, maybe you can come to this <laughs> event and just be extra weird when you arrive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so hostile hostile can only transform as a result of its resolving ability. That's the sacrifice creature. Put a soul counter on it. Then, if there's three more creatures, you can't just have two counters on it and then proliferate into a third counter and then boom, get your transform. No, now you could put one counter on it, 
proliferate, get the second counter, and then activate its ability to put the third counter on. Sure, that's a way to get you creeping in. <laughs> I like that. That's your way to get you creeping. Okay. Um, the creeping in doesn't... Ha- that's the way I'm going to say it, too. The creeping in. The creeping in doesn't have haste. That's probably not going to matter, as it's kind of hard... Um, on the turn you play hostile hostile to get the three soul counters on the first turn. Gotta build that hostility up. Right. Also, when creeping in phases out, when it does phase in at the beginning of the turn, it's gonna still be able to attack. Creatures that phase in at the beginning of the turn are considered to have started the turn on your side, so you will be able to attack with your creeping in. <laughs> you gonna be able to creeping in on creeping in there. They didn't okay. leave. We just pretended we didn't see them for a minute. Alright. So there's, I think there's two cards that talk about phasing in this set. We're not going to go super into details on phasing. Uh, the easiest way to think about phasing, and we've used this example before in the past, is just take a cup or your Code Red Mountain Dew or whatever and just set it on top of the creature. Okay, where'd the creature go? I don't know. I can't see it anymore. I've got no object permanence. Out of sight, out of mind. Okay, and then when it phases back in, just take the couple. There it was the there whole time. There it is. Peek-a-boo. There it is. Yep. When something phases out, the game just stops tracking it. I don't know. It's like a toddler with object permanence. I don't know where it went. Um, it's not exiled. Yeah, please don't show this the... to your toddler. <laughs> right? I don't know. They might like it. Um, and then that's how they, you know, 20 years later, they will spend all their extra money on Halloween stuff. <laughs> um, it's not exiled. It doesn't leave the battlefield. Uh, when when you take the cup off, it didn't enter the battlefield. It didn't doesn't lose any counters or stay attached to it. It's just you just put a little box over it, and then when it phases back in, you take the box off. Um, now, if creeping in, uh, if you phase out creeping in, if you phase out creeping in <laughs> during combat, it will remove it from combat. All right, and then if an opponent gains control of creeping in and it phases out, and the duration of that control-changing effect expires before it phases in. So it's like gain control of creeping in until the end of turn, and then, so I gain control of it from Sama, I take Sama's creeping in, and I phase it out, and that effect ended, because it only lasted until end of turn. It's going to phase in under my control as, uh, sorry, it's going to phase in under Sama's control as my appropriate untapped step begins. Because I'm the one that phased it out. You creeped it out and it's creeping back in. Yeah, it's creeping back in. Um, and if they leave the game, if the opponent leaves the game before that untapped step, or, or Sama, rather, I've mixed up opponents. If Sama leaves the game before that untapped step, um, uh, I'm sorry, if I leave the game before that untapped step, it's going to phase in during the next untapped step that would have the turn after. So in that particular case, this is more relevant in like an EDH game. It would be like the next player in turn order. Sam would get her creeping in back. Creeps on back over to me. Oh, yeah. Just the creeping continues until morale improves. Howl's moving Holiday in. <laughs> next up, we have Ludovic Necrogenius, which turns into Olag Ludovic's Hubris. God, what a name. Mr. Ludovic, for blue and a black, is a legendary creature, human wizard. It's a 2-3. Whenever Ludovic Necrogenius enters the battlefield or attacks, mill a card. It's funny seeing mill actually just printed on the card. Yeah, it is a little. It's fun. Um, So also on Ludovic Necrogenius here, we have X, blue, blue, black, black, exile X, X creature cards from your graveyard. 
colon, transform Ludovic. X can't be zero, activate only as a sorcery. So that's how we're transforming him. So here we go to Olag, the, the hubris of it all. Um, Olag is a legendary creature zombie. It's a 4-4. And here's a big old block of text. As this creature transforms into Olag, Ludovic's hubris, it becomes a copy of a creature card exiled with it. Except its name is Olag, Ludovic's hubris. It's 4-4, and it's a legendary blue and black zombie in addition to its other colors and types. Put a number of plus one, plus one counters on Olag equal to the number of creature cards exiled with it. We're doing some layers today. <laughs> so you choose which exiled creatures, which... Cards. Oh, I was like, what? Okay. Creatures care. Who, yeah. ca- who cares? It's right. a typo. <laughs> you choose which exiled creature card Olag is copying as it transforms. It isn't transform then copy. Sometimes cards will continuous will continually check attributes of the exiled card. Olag does not. After it's been transformed and the exiled cards are somehow removed from exile, Olag will still be a copy of whatever it copied. Yeah. Why does it not care? Well, there's some cards that are like when when this enters the battlefield, exile a card. Like think about imprint. So it's like when this uh make a copy of the exile, you know, when this enters the battlefield, uh imprint a card or exile a card and then you can do something based on that card so the, uh, when the game okay. when it's asking for information about the card then it's going to continually look back but in this particular case it's more like a one and done copy effect boom done and it doesn't yeah it asks once it knows once there and there you go yep. there it is mm-hmm. so if olag becomes a copy of something with the daybound keyword ability if this happens it doesn't transform as it becomes night because it, it there's no way to turn it back. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it if it had daybound, yeah, it would go back to Ludovic. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Where's that's that's hubris. That's not ha- <laughs> flying way too close to the sun on that one. Um, right. Thank you, Icarus. Way too close to the daybound on that one. Um, unfortunately, the copy doesn't see doesn't see what the back would be. So, got nothing right. to turn into. The next is Might of the Old Ways. Is one in a green for an instant. Target creature gets plus two plus... This is the target creature gets plus two plus two and set keyword card. So, target creature gets plus two plus two until end of turn, period. Coven. Then, if you control three or more creatures with different powers, draw a card. Now, I put a little bit of emphasis on that period because things happen in the order they are written on the card. Mm -hmm. So, target creature is going to get plus two plus two until end of turn. And then we're going to say, hey, if I've got three or more creatures with different powers, draw a card. So... If you have a 1-1, a 2-2, one, one, a two, two, and a 3-3, three, three, and you go, might of all ways, my 1-1, one, one, you just ended up with you ended up with a 2-2 two, two, and then two 3-3s. Three, you don't have three, three or more creatures with different powers. You do not draw a card. So plan ahead. Might of the, the old way is planning ahead. Like when you used to travel before you had Google Maps on your phone, you'd have to like maybe go to MapQuest and print the directions out. To take with you, that's planning. That's the old ways. Yeah, Plan back ahead. then you'd get on MapQuest and it would tell you whether or not you could form a coven. Or, or better yet, you'd go to AAA and get the trip ticks. Get the coven discount. <laughs> the coven discount. All right. Next up, we have Moonvale Regent. It's a very cool looking thing. So for three and a red, you get a creature dragon. It's a four four. It's got flying. Whenever you cast a spell, you may discard your hand. Oof. 
If you do, draw a card for each of that spell's colors. Ooh, that's pretty cute. When Moonveil Regent dies, it deals X damage to any target where X is the number of colors among permanents you control. Ooh, I like this card. If you have no cards in hand, you can still choose to discard your hand to draw a bunch of cards. Beautiful. Beautiful. You can discard nothing, and you have discarded nothing. Wonderful. If you cast a colorless spell, you can discard your hand and draw no cards. Again. If you wish. Not not telling you it's a good idea, just telling you it's possible. We never give legal advice here on JudgeCast. No. All right. So for the back face of transforming double face cards with Disturb, use the color indicator, the little dot. Yup. All right. Oh, Next here's a up. card we've seen before. We have, and this is one of those fun little cards that come up in judge questions every now and then. It's, oh, it's good to have you back, old friend. Pithing Needle for one colorless. It's an artifact. As Pithing Needle enters the battlefield, choose a card name. Activated abilities of sources with the chosen name can't be activated unless they're mana abilities. All right. Activated abilities have a colon. Occasionally, keywords will have colons like hidden in their text, like equip. Equip is actually an activated ability, even though it's the activations like hidden in the in the text. Um, the card name is affected regardless of what zone it's in. So like cycling is affected by this. That's an activated ability, so you can't cycle a card that's been named with a pithing needle. You can choose any card name. You can choose mountain. Okay, so the, here's, here's a little bit of advice for judges. If... In a tournament, okay, someone asks, hey, can I name Forest with Pithing Needle? The answer to that question is, yes, you can, you but can. don't give that answer. Don't give that answer. Just say, like, what are you trying to do? And then they'll be like, oh, well, I don't want them to actively be able to tap their forest. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, the activators of the source, and you can read the card. Activated abilities of sources of the chosen name can't be activated unless they're mana abilities. And then kind of like lean in and give them little eyebrows. Um, no, you yeah. just say yes, and then they do it, and then they're mad, and then you go, ha, 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 and click your yeah, heels you... as you scamper away. Right. <laughs> like a little leprechaun, yes. just top of the morning to you. And We're here with Riddle's off. friend. Yep, yep. Now, Arlen, the Mune's, fur- the Mune's furry. <laughs> I'm going with it. The Mune, you say? <laughs> the Mune's furry. Jeez. All right. So Arlen, the mo- the Mune's furry, has a-, a Planeswalker ability for two loyalty ability, colon, add red and a green. Well, it's got a colon. That's an activated ability, but it's adding mana to my mana pool, right? So it's a mana ability? Nope. Mm-mm. There's a, ex- a call-out Planeswalker ability. Planeswalker abilities cannot be mana abilities even if they add mana to your mana pool. Sorry. Now, this card also says, it says, activated abilities of sources with the chosen name can't be activated. Flashback is not an activated ability. You can still cast it. You can still cast Disturb Creatures. For double face cards, you can name either face of a double face card, but not both. Pithing Needle will only affect the face that you named. Okay. All right. So it goes. That's how it, that's how it do. That's how it be. Rim Carolus, Stalwart Slayer. Is a... For, for one red and a white, you get a legendary creature, Human Knight. That's a 2-3. It's got flying and haste. If a spell would deal damage to you or another permanent you control, prevent that damage. Cool. If a spell would deal damage to an opponent or a permanent an opponent controls, 
It deals that much damage plus one instead. I like that. All right. So the last two abilities only apply to spells on the stack. All right. Triggered or activated abilities don't count. Spells that become permanents, then the permanent does damage. That doesn't count either. Oh, that's such a bummer, though. That's such a bummer. <laughs> all right. All right. Some spells cause other objects to deal damage, such as fight. That's not the spell doing damage. Oh, well. Rem causes the source of the damage to deal the one more. Rem isn't dealing the one damage. That's very nitpicky, but I am certain that will come up at some mm -hmm. point. Right. So if, like, I have protection from red and you've somehow got a white card that's um, that's doing damage, I'd be like, oh, well, that one can't hit me because I got pro-red. I'm just like, no, white spell. This is a perfect opportunity for you to go actually. Actually. <laughs> If you have multiple replacement effects changing how much damage is done, the player affected by the damage gets to choose the order. I mean, fair, all right. Sure. If a spell of yours is dividing up damage to multiple objects, you divide the original amount before adding the one. Huh. Wonder when that would come up. What's that? Just, I wonder when that would ever come up. Oh, if a spell deals, um, like, was it Cone of... Cone of flame, it deals like one damage to something, two damage. No, no, I'm sorry. That's uh, dividing up. So if it's like deal two damage to up to two targets, divide it up any way you choose. Oh, so you couldn't do like an extra target or something, like if it lets you do well, that or. Well, no, so you divide the original amount. So, yeah. so if it says I get to deal two damage to up to two, divided evenly amongst two, up to two targets, I can either do two damage to one target or one damage to two targets. So if I split it, if I just deal the two damage to the one target then it's going to get up to three if i deal the one damage to each of two targets then each of those ones are going to be up to two and i said Ooh, one and two a lot i see i yeah. see oh that's cool that's really cool yeah fancy so so yeah and i was going to try and look up the the latin let's see here uh i'm going to try and do this real quick so this is carpe tempestas Seize the storm. For four and a red, it is a sorcery that reads, Create a red elemental creature token with trample and this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard, plus the number of cards with flashback you own in exile. And then it has flashback for six and a red. Okay, so the there's the, the ability is actually on the token. The This creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard plus the number of cards with flashback you own in exile. That text is on the token. It's it's not set when the spell results. It's not a set value. It's, it's on the token. The token's going to constantly check. It's going to continue to go up and down. Okay, so when you cast Seize the Storm, let's say you got nothing else in your graveyard. Graveyard's completely empty. You cast Seize the Storm... You're going to make a 0-0 zero, zero token. Then Seize the Storm is going to hit the battlefield, or sorry, hit the graveyard. And then we're going to check state-based actions. So it was a 0-0, zero, zero, then it became a 1-1, one, one, and then state-based actions were checked. It's still a lot. Okay. Do not turn around and then flash this back again. Oh, wait. No, no, no. That works because it's counting the number of cards that you, you have in exile. So if you flash it back, um, you'd have one card in exile. So now you'd have two tokens, two 1-1s. One, all right. Hmm. Carpe Tempestus. Yeah. Carpe Tempestus. That actually kind of oh. rules. I want that to be yeah. the slogan. 
All right. But but then again, don't talk to cops is a good one. <laughs> we can just add it don't all together. To we can just make a cumulative slogan. <laughs> <laughs> Carpe tempestus. Don't talk to cops. <laughs> we don't Soon talk to on cops. shirts. <laughs> yes. I think we're saying it for different reasons. Like, I'm quoting a song. Oh, my parents are lawyers, so that's just the advice oh, okay. I've, I've gotten since childhood. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> Wait. Next I up. Have <laughs> I, I have questions now. I have questions now. Oh, so many. I know. I know. I've lived a weird life. Okay. Next up, we have Sludge Monster. He doesn't look very sludgy. He kind of looks sludgy. Oh, oh man, look at this guy. Yeah, okay, look at the art for this. It, it, it's kind of sludgy. All right, so for yeah. three blue blue, we have a Creature Horror. That's a 5-5. Five five. Whenever Sludge Monster enters the battlefield or attacks, put a slime counter on up to one other target creature. Non-horror creatures with slime counters on them lose all abilities and have base power and toughness 2-2. Two two. So it just kind of wilts them. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I see here that you, you've you noted that you, you get very excited for slime counter support. Why is that, Brian? I don't know. This is just one other card with a slime counter on it. I was like, I, suddenly I was like, well, how are all the many different ways can we get slime counters on things? And it turns out it's not so great. Not a whole lot of choices. Well, maybe we're ramping up. Maybe in the next couple sets we'll see some more slime I mean, stuff, you know? Maybe eventually maybe. slimes will just be their own creature type. I don't know. We'll, we'll see where the future takes us, right? Yeah. So sludge monsters. What? What is this? Doesn't work with your gutter grime deck. Yeah. Because gutter grime's the only other card that puts slime counters on things. Fair enough. And it was original Innistrad. But it's an enchantment. Yeah. Oh, well. Sludge Monster causes all non-horror creatures with slime counters to lose abilities, not just ones that, not just ones put on from the Sludge Monster. So that's cool. Yeah. So if you yeah. find another way to get a slime counter on things, like I don't know, you the creature dies and you move the slime counter onto the Ozolith, and then you later you move the slime counter off of the Ozolith onto another creature. They get slimed Ooh. like old school Nickelodeon. Oh yeah. Say, I don't know. Maybe the aggro crag will show up in the next set. Yep. So also, the losing all abilities and becoming a 2-2 is linked to the sludge monster and is not an intrinsic ability of the counter. So that, that does matter yep. about the so card. So if sludge monster gets gacked, yeah. then your, your, your slimed creatures get to... They'll still have the slime counter on them, but they'll be able to get up and be like, oh, he slimed me, and go about their day. And then the next sludge monster that comes down, they're just going to be like, oh, I'm back to 2-2 with no abilities. That's what happens when you get slimed. Right. And now I'm going to leave this up to the interested Twitter fans. If Sama has a sludge monster and I have a sludge monster, can we double slime? Is there a way to double slime? And then what happens? I mean, there is a way to double slime, but we we, we involve like flesh. Yeah, there's a lot of work involved to do this. But but go ahead, hit us up on Twitter. What happens if we get a a, a double sludge monster mayhem? Dance off. Yes, this Sunday, Sunday, <laughs> Sunday at the Expo Arena when sludge monsters attack. You'll pay for the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. Uh, next up is Teferi, who slows the sunset. Uh, so, for two... White and a blue, we have a four loyalty legendary planeswalker Teferi with text really, really small that I need to make the card bigger to read. 
Okay, for plus the plus one ability is choose up to one target artifact, up to one target creature, and up to one target land. So you could actually choose nothing. Untap the chosen permanence you control. Uh, then tap the chosen permanence that you don't control, gain two life. Now this is kind of interesting because you can target up to one artifact, one creature, one land. Then out of the ones that you chose, if you control one of them, you're going to untap it. But if you don't control it, you're going to tap it. Then you're going to gain two life. And you might not target anything. So you can target zero between zero and three things. If you do choose just the one target, like I'm going to untap just my one creature, and then somehow that creature gets removed or exiled or put into the graveyard, the ability is going to get countered. You're not going to gain the two life. So someone's being really petty. <laughs> okay. But um, the minus two ability is look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Okay, pretty straightforward there. Um, then the minus seven is you get an emblem with, quote, untap all permanents you control during each opponent's untap step, end quote, and you draw a, car you draw a card, you draw a card during each opponent's draw step. So it's one emblem, not two. I don't think that matters, but it's one emblem with two bits of text. Uh, if you create an emblem with the last ability, your permanence will untap at the same time as your opponent's permanence untap during their untap step. Okay. For the card draw, the card draw is not actually at the same time. They're going to draw, it happens in app and app order, they're going to draw their card, then you're going to draw your card, then the players are going to get priority during the draw step. Good old app nap. Yep. That's, uh... And that's all I got to say about Teferi, who slows the draw step. <laughs> all right. Next we have Tovalar. Tovalar? Tovalar, dire overlord, who turns yeah, he's into... Got those, he's got those good candies, the triangle-shaped ones, the chocolate. Oh, that's Toblerone. That you get the... Oh. So Toblerone, right. dire overlord, and Toblerone, the midnight scourge. The Midnight Scourge looks like he has skipped leg day a little bit, but that's okay. Oh, he does. We don't he judge. really does. That's okay. He looks like Cotton from uh, from King of the Hill. God, he does too. Oh my God. So I, I I would like to think that he that Tovalar Dire Overlord just got really stocky up top when he transformed, but just the rest of him stayed kind of normal. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. The worst. Just you get bigger from the waist up. Right. <laughs> oh no werewolf gains so tovalar dire overlord for one red green is a legendary creature human werewolf a three three whenever a wolf or werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player draw a card oh i know a lot of people that are going to be happy about this card mm -hmm. at the beginning of your upkeep if you control three or more wolves and or werewolves it becomes night then transform any number of human werewolves you control daybound Ooh wee all right so Tovalar the Midnight Scourge is a 4-4 legendary creature werewolf. Whenever a wolf or werewolf you control deals damage, deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So then we have a, an ability down here, X red green colon, activated ability, target wolf or werewolf you control gets plus X plus O and gains trample until end of turn. And Nightbound. Yeah, there was a land with that last ability. There was a land in the OG Innistrad that did the same thing that was pretty decent. Oh, was there? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Neat. All right, so so some notes here. If three wolves deal damage to a player, you get to draw three cards. Nice. So if a creature is both a wolf and a werewolf, 
That one counts as one for the purpose of the first triggered ability, which was the dealing combat damage draw card. Yep. So Tovalar's second ability seems weird, but it's meant to be a werewolf commander, so it needs to play nice with OG Innistrad wolves, and they didn't have the day-night stuff, so... Yeah. Making them all kind of mesh together. Make them play nice. Right. All right. So the next one I'm going to read, because this one's, this one's very, very exciting for me. Uh, unnatural growth. It's one green, green, gr- one green, 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 green. Four greens. Uh, for an enchantment, at the beginning of each combat, double the power and toughness of each creature you control until end of turn. Okay. So doubling a creature's power is just giving it plus X plus O, where X is the current power. Okay. If the power is negative, it's also going to get doubled. So if it's somehow minus two, negative two power, it's going to become negative four. Easy enough. We're going to do the same thing with toughness. Now, if you control more than one unnatural growth, they're each going to apply independently. So let's say, and this is where I get really, really excited. Bear Cub is in the release notes. Yay, you got there. After all those years of Mr. Dunks refusing to use Bear Cub as an example card because it's not in standard. Bear Cub is now in the release notes. So I'm going to read what the release notes say. If you control more than one unnatural growth, each one applies independently. For example, if you control two copies of unnatural growth, a 2-2 Bear Cub becomes a 4-4 creature when the first ability resolves and then becomes an 8-8 creature when the second one resolves. I'm unnaturally happy about this development and i look forward to more bear cubs being becoming the uh the vanilla of choice in magic release notes in the future i think we've all accepted it as reality at this point i think we've all just gotten there together all right here we go with vengeful strangler which turns into strangling grasp so vengeful strangler for one in a black is a creature human rogue to one so vengeful strangler can't block When Vengeful Strangler dies, return it to the battlefield transformed under your control, attached to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls, which, spoiler, Strangling Grasp is an enchantment aura. Sweet. So so Strangling Grasp, enchant, enchant creature or planeswalker and opponent controls. At the beginning of your upkeep, Enchanted Permanent's controller sacrifices a non-land permanent and loses one life. That's not very nice. Yeah. Alright, so if something causes Vengeful Strangler to transform while on the battlefield, the aura it becomes will just go to the go into the graveyard, which is different than Curse of Leeches, which we talked about earlier. Yes. So, some mild errata. At the beginning of your upkeep, Enchanted Permanence Controller sacrifices a non-land permanent, then that player loses one life. Yeah. So that's just there to kind of clarify the, the order of things, to not kind of imply that they happen simultaneously. I see, yeah. So so really the, the then is what's new, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, making yeah. sure we... Or if somehow the the Enchanted Permanent Controller doesn't have any non-land permanents to sacrifice. Yeah. But he's good. So this is a pretty cool set. Yes. I like the flavor of this set. It's, it's fun, it's weird, it's a little creepy, and spooky, scary skeletons, I don't know. So I'm super happy because the last time we went back to Innistrad, they did more of the cosmic horror stuff. Which, True, because we were le- leading up into the, the big Immercool yeah, reveal. Yeah, which was cool, but it wasn't, like, Innistrad. So I'm really, really happy that they have returned to their roots. It really feels like 
the original Innistrad in terms of just the, the wackiness. I do like the daybound nightbound mechanic. I think it gives a lot of consistency that was lacking from the original werewolves. I'm not super thrilled that it plays different, but that's not really going to matter outside of like commander or maybe somebody, I mean, maybe somebody's going to be able to do something in modern. I, don't know. I think it's a cool yeah. way for it to work. So I'm excited to kind of see, see it in action a little bit more. I got to see some of it, like we said, at pre-release and you know, yeah, how'd that go? How was your pre-release? It was so much fun. We had a blast. It was, it was calm, steady, safe. We we kept everybody distanced and masked, and everything went really, really smooth. I was worried it would either, I was worried about the extremes of where too many people would want to play and would have to turn people away, which is a huge bummer, or there just wouldn't be anybody and would have to cancel. Like you know, all the things you worry about as a store manager. But it went super smooth. We had a blast. The cards seemed like a whole lot of fun. I think a lot of people are are kind of wondering what standard is going to look like now sort of post Eldraine and I think that's going to be a big shift a big shift in the format so keeping our eyes out for what's to come yeah all right so anything else before we wrap up anything else interesting no I don't think so next episode is either going to be IPG updates or Transformers robots in disguise or complaining about conferences we can always do that too we could just we could just end every episode with that with the fact that we're going to complain about conferences? Okay, see, see, although I can't complain about conferences now because I actually participated in my first ever online Zoom whatever Discord mm-hmm. conference recently. And I thought it was going to be a hassle because I'm technologically illiterate, but it was a blast. It was really, really cool. And now I can't believe I've waited this long to try it this way because now I really just want all judge conferences to be that way. <laughs> I don't want to go back. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to talk afterwards. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. But it went this, super this well. And I thing. loved it. I loved it so much. So so wait. Who was the organizer for that for that online conference that went so well? Some weirdo. What? Some weirdo. Who was the organizer oh, for it? I don't it? remember. Some Florida Florida man. Some Florida man. Some Florida man. Hmm. Could it be the same person that's wanting to do an episode complaining about conferences? It might be that same guy. It might be. It might be yes. that same guy. Um. Yes. When you look I, behind the curtain, it was you. But I had a lot of fun. It was really cool. So I, as much as I want to sit here and be like, <laughs> conferences, like it, that actually kind of ruled and I would absolutely do it again. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad that it went as smoothly from your end. It's that whole duck thing, right? It's like you don't see the little paddle in beneath the surface. Oh, yeah. I got to be uh. all duck and no paddle. I got to show up and talk about <laughs> how not to be the absolute worst the first time you ever show up to a big event. Wait, is all duck and no paddle like all hat and no cattle? What on earth is... Oh, oh, I get it. Yeah, okay. I've never heard that, but that, that, that instantly f- makes sense. Yeah. That fellow's all hat and no cattle. I've met so a lot of people I'm... like that. Yeah. Lots of hat, not a lot of cattle. So that person's all duck and no paddle? All duck, no I paddle. I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to do all the... Much like Judge Cast, you got to do all, all the paddling. I got to be a, a very nice duck floating on the water. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right, so I, I guess that's our episode. Join us next time when we talk about Transform or anything else we decide to do. Until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at judgecast. Till next time, I'm Samantha Har and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prillman, and I answer can I name mountain with my pithing needle with yes. Yes. Carpe, carpe tempestus, don't talk to cops. 
All dog, no paddle. We got some good phrases out of this show. We this this show brings out the absolute best and worst out of everyone, I think. <laughs>